Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. This is the word of God. Thanks. Good morning. <laughs> so, what's going on here, Scotty? Okay, so good morning. Once again, let's take a, a look together at this text. Is it, is it me? It's not you, it's me type thing. All right. What do you, what's the word, Alex? It sounds like it's better now. I don't know. Is it this? Heal me. All right. Good? Yeah, so far. So good. Thank you. Demonstration of different gifts used to serve the body of Christ. We're built up. Thank you, Alex. That is super fantastic. So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's part of a larger series that we're calling the beautiful, messy bride of Christ. That's, that's the church. And we've seen a lot of the beauty already, but probably more of the mess along the way. And when we get to this chapter talking about spiritual gifts, it's really the same thing. They're designed to be something very beautiful, but misunderstood or misapplied, they can actually be kind of harmful. And that's what's happening in the context of this church in Corinth. So Paul wants to remind them about the beautiful nature of God's design and giving his body gifts, but also make sure that we're using them in the appropriate way. 
Because if they're not used in that way, it can, be, it can be harmful. And this is a lot of what he's already been discussing as he talks about Christian freedom and what it means and how God's designed us and making sure that we're doing it in a way that gives him glory. So we're looking just at the first 13 verses here. Gifts for good is what we're calling it. And as a summary statement, looking at these verses, lifting from the text, we can say that spiritual gifts come from God for the common good of the church, given as he determines, so the body can thrive. That's really what we're going to unpack here. Let's take a look at this. Um, it's already been read, but just to remind you of some portions of, uh, of that text. Um, looking in verses 1 through 6 here, really, uh, we can see that spiritual gifts come from God. That is the main thrust of these first verses. Spiritual gifts come from God. Uh, Paul says, look, I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts now. And there was a time when you rejected Christ. I mean, the word pagans is, is transla translated a translation of ethne, so just nations. But it's also used to talk about those who are not serving Christ. There was a time when Christ wasn't somebody you called Lord. And the, the, what, the things you were following were idols. Now, we've been talking about that in the previous verses, starting in chapter 8. He talks about worshiping things that are false. And what you're doing then is giving your life attention to something that's not really a God at all. They've been rescued from that, and now they're serving God. I'm just going to switch to this other thing. All right. So they previously were worshiping false idols. Now they're worshiping the one true God. And that God gives them gifts. So they recognize anything they get doesn't come from something that's false, but from the God who is real. In fact, in, in verse 7, if you've got the whole text in front of you, each one of you has a gift, and those are basically people who have ceased treating Jesus as someone to reject and now aim to live with him as the Lord of their lives. So no one can say Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing about and to the family of God, the church, uh, the body, and he says, look, you have gifts. Now, one of the questions that you might ask, uh, understandably, is what's the difference between an ordinary natural skill and something that's a spiritual gift? If you're really good at something, um, be, even before you become a follower of Christ, how does that fit in? And I would, I would suggest that there actually is a reality to the fact that those ordinary gifts that you have, when you say now Jesus is Lord, are used by him as spiritual gifts for the church. Now, I say that because just before this, you remember, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So even if, for example, you're with it numbers, right? If you become a follower of Christ and you're filled with his spirit, that gift, which seems natural, actually has a spiritual element to it because now you're using it for God's glory and for the good of the church. So that's a broad perspective on this. But Paul has something, although I think that is very accurate in, in understanding that some of these gifts that aren't listed necessarily in these texts are still used for God's glory and become spiritual when you use them for that purpose. 
Nonetheless, Paul says there are a specific list of gifts which God does give you when you say Jesus is Lord. That is, you become a follower of Christ. So you have something he has given you that is to be used for a specific purpose. And it does come from God. Oh, look how often he says that in these verses here. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God. And this is a Trinitarian formula, again, as we've already seen just recently as well. We were talking about men and women, the dignity and the value of each, but different functions. Paul looked at the Trinity and said, that's what the Trinity is like. One God, three persons. Ontological, if you remember that. The same, but different roles. And he says, now when we talk about gifts, it's very similar. The same God who is unified, but has, even within the Godhead, different functions, is the one who's given you the gifts that you have. And they're different, but they serve a similar purpose. Different functions, but the same purpose. And they come from God himself. And natural gifts obviously become spiritual when done for God's glory, the strength and the faith. But so do these gifts that he's given as well. And the very first word that he uses when he talks about this is pneumatikoi. Now, about spiritual gifts. Their source, then, is a spiritual source. They come from God. And in fact, in verse 4, it says there are different kinds of gifts. And that Greek word there, you may be familiar with, charismata. Charismatic churches. Now, in general, would you say we're a charismatic church? That's probably something on a scale. If there's a single raised hand and you came from a place that it didn't do that, you might think these people are a little out of control. <laughs> probably on a grand scale of things, we're pretty moderate, sedate, not quite the frozen chosen. I mean, there's a little bit of fluidity going on here, too. And I do want to say to you that I, 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 we, we do uh, long to have the kind of worship environment that encourages you to worship as you're led. Uh, some of you, maybe if you want to kneel during worship, that's totally, that's totally fine. That's great. I know if you're in a place where nobody else is raising hands and you are, you can become a little bit self-conscious. Um, but that, that, So sit in the front row. Would you? Nobody up here. I mean, I love being in the front row because, in a sense, I don't know what's going on behind me. And I'm, I'm not super charismatic in my expression of things, but sometimes I, I can be a little bit. I don't know what's going on behind me. So whatever it is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We long for that freedom. Some of you come from cultures that are just not expressive. Others of you may come from uh, cultures that are highly expressive. And if the body is the body that we see written about in Corinthians, we should probably expect some different expressions of worship. And of course, there's a context and a feel, and I get it. I remember Avery talking about this environment, this space. It's kind of cold. I'm literally cold <laughs> right now. And there's brick, and there's concrete, and we throw some carpets on there. It doesn't make you feel very warm. There's a basketball hoop right there and a giant one over there that I could get probably 8 out of 10 from here. And there's balls and there's a, a mat that we could all romp around on. And I mean, it's just kind of random. 
in here too. So we know there is a physical reality we do want, and God does care about worship space. He spends a lot of time describing the temple and what it should be like. But you do what you can with what you got. And so we invite God's spirit into this place. And maybe the warmth comes from the generation of your spirits worshiping God more than the physical location. Certainly that is true. Although we do want to make as many improvements as possible as we can. Nonetheless, wherever you are, this context for worship is something that God himself has given us. And so the charismata, really, charis means grace. That's what it means. The Greek word for grace is charis. Something that God has given that we have not necessarily earned. These are the gifts that he's given to the church as we gather to worship. And this is a corporate worship commentary that Paul is giving in chapters 12, 13, and 14. What does it look like when you gather together? And part of what it looks like is you've got collective gifts that come from God. And so he says, as he goes on, these different kinds of, of, of gifts he talks about are actually given for the common good of the church. That's why God has given these different gifts. So in the next verses, he unpacks that just a bit. Spiritual gifts come from God, as we've already said, but they come from God for the common good of the church. Kind of backing up, and we looked at 1 through 6, and now 5 through 10, backing it up just a little bit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And I, I highlighted the, the Greek here, and sometimes it's, it, it feels... You just have to understand there are advantages sometimes to looking at the original language. But I don't want you to think that if you can't look at the original language, you can't understand what God is saying. So it's just kind of like a, a, a little bit more shine on the diamond, as it were, at times that help it be understood with a little bit more depth. And when Paul says there are different kinds of service, some of you may recognize that word. We have deacons, and we're training some deacons who come along to serve the needs of the church. And he says there are different kinds of diakonia, different kinds of service. And they're used in service for others. And we can say then gifts, from Paul's perspective, exist to serve somebody else, not yourself. And that's exactly, again, a picture of the Trinity. They're pouring themselves out for the sake of the other. So if you have a gift, it's not designed to prop you up and make you look fantastic. It's actually given so that you can serve somebody else. Different kinds of service, same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them. Enigma, you know, this is obviously an English word that we use too. So many of these too. There's energy there. In other words, when you use your gift, it is effective. It's like a, you know, a shock that's given. It's an evidence of God's power that's at work when you use your gift. In fact, so much more so that in verse 5, he says, uses the word phanerosis. That is, it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to the church and to the world. That's from verse 6 and 7. Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit's given for the common good. And that common good then starts with the church, but even reaches beyond. 
And Paul's going to be concerned with how the church service is conducted with people who aren't saying Jesus is Lord coming in. But also he's suggesting that your gifts that you use, first for the common good of the church, are also a testimony to the world that's watching that God himself is at work. Paul talks more about that just a little bit down the road. <coughs> so the point is here, God is manifested in your life. God, the Holy Spirit, becomes visible through you when you exercise the spiritual gifts that he has given for the common good of the church. So you're to show the Spirit. Uh, Don Carson, who is just a prolific writer, a uh, professor up in Chicago at uh, Trinity, he writes a whole book just on these three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And he titles the entire book on this one verse. He says, showing the Spirit. That's what this whole section about it is about for him. It's showing the Spirit. That is, that you have in your life as you live an opportunity to show that God is real. And one of the ways you do that is through exercising the gifts that he's given to you. That's the beauty of the church. And he goes on in verse 11 to say, all these works are of one and the same spirit. And he gives them according to what he desires. So already we have this kind of running sentence, and here's the next part of it. Spiritual gifts come from God for the common good of the church as he determines. That's what verse 11 says. The spirit is sovereign. Uh, that's the point. He does what he wills. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. There are actually some other sections of the Bible that talk about more gifts. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 is one of those places, and so is Romans chapter 12. And you can even look at Ephesians chapter 4 too. So this is not an exhaustive list. And in, in fact, it seems like Paul is focusing on gifts that are, are, are there for this church at this time. So a lot of commentators would argue that you're not finding every single possible spiritual gift. I mean, it's not necessarily exhaustive. It's being selective, though, in that respect. And another, other commentators would argue that it's dynamic as well, that it can change according to need. See, as God desires, he may gift a church with people who possess a specific gift for a certain time. When I was first starting Redeemer, as I told you, I was asking for people to pray that I would get the gift of evangelism. I'm not a natural evangelist. I mean, I can declare God's word from, from up front with, with boldness because you're giving me a little bit of permission to do that right now. If you don't like it, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you leave right now, but <laughs> if you don't like it, you can leave, you know. I'm, it, you've kind of said as you come through here, like, I'm willing to listen at least for a certain amount of time to what you're going to say. And so I feel a measure of freedom to be, to be bold. Uh, but that's not exactly evangelism. That's sharing the good news largely with people who aren't yet believers. And that is not a, that's not a, that's not a gift. Of, it's not a spiritual gift of mine. But I can eagerly desire it. I can ask people to pray for it. And I've seen times as well when although it's not the normal staple, the normal thing for me, I sense that God is at work, his energy at work in me, giving me boldness of speech that I would not normally have. I've had that in some very clear moments. 
And, you know, for a lot of people, are you sort of like this? You have an interaction with somebody who doesn't believe the same thing you do when you go home and you think, there's about 20 things I could have said there. I had no idea what to say at the moment. Oh, if I could relive it, I would do this. And there have been moments when I don't have to think that. It just comes automatically. And I think God's spirit has gifted for a particular moment. There are people whose whole lives are like that, like Samson, right? And then when he's not honoring God, it's taken away. So we, we recognize there's a sovereignty here to God's Holy Spirit, giving what he will according to how he desires at what time. It seems to me, just having traveled around the world and seeing some very different contexts, that God's Spirit manifests gifts in different ways at different times, even according to the culture. There is just some, some things happening, for example, in India, where, where the spiritual realm is, is slightly different and people need to see things in, in, in a different kind of way where God's Spirit is at work in a way that's very different than he can be in a place where his spirit is working differently. That's his purpose. That's his will. That's his design. He's the one who gives. As he determines, he does what he wills. The diversity of gifts, the diversity of ministries, the diversity of effectiveness, that's his doing. He's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Their one divine will expressed perfectly as he's giving gifts. And he does this in this kind of beautiful way where Paul is caught up in the imagery again of the church being a body. So to complete our sentence here too, spiritual gifts come from God for the common good of the church as he determines so the body can thrive. The body, the church, the called out ones, we're made up of many parts, but though there are many parts, they form one body. So it is with Christ. So we're baptized by one spirit into one body. And it doesn't matter who you are. Now you're a part of the big body. Now, I don't know how many of you have taken philosophy courses in college, like college-level philosophy. Anybody? Here? Oh, okay. There's some, some hands. Did you talk about the one and the many? That's all my professor talked about <laughs> all the time. The one and the many. And, you know, it's this philosophical dilemma that we all have. Like, there's the one and, and the many, right? The, the, the big whole and the parts. And how do they fit together? And so some entire cultures will celebrate the one at the expense of the many and vice versa. I'm American. We celebrate the one. Autonomy, independence, individuality. And there are other cultures, too, uh, other places. Um, we, we had somebody living with us from a culture that celebrated the one. So the individual desires were, were succumbed or pushed down for the sake of the whole. And this is, this is, I don't think it's surprising that when we talk about the church, whom God has made all of these different cultures and realities, he says, here it is, the one and the many. They're both real and true. No wonder he starts again with the Trinity. The one and the many, the, the whole and the parts both matter. And when we think about the church, that's the image. Do we understand the philo philosophical concept of the one, the many? Yeah, you're walking around in it right now. It's called your body. It is one thing. It's a body. But there's individual parts. 
You know, and they all have their function. They all move and do different things. And usually you don't realize how important one part of the body is until it's injured or, or wounded or something. The small pinky toe, seriously, that's not that big of a deal. Until you, you know, break it. Has anyone ever broken a little toe? Okay. Did you, did you notice it was injured? <laughs> and you're like, what, what purpose does it serve? Well, now it serves something because I hurt every time I walk. And Paul will unpack that a little bit in the verses to come. But the point is there that you contribute. You've been given, each one of us, not just these natural gifts, but each one of us has been given a spiritual gift, at least one, that is used for the common good. And then if you don't use it, it's not only injurious or harmful to you, but to the body as well. That's the one in the many. The body cannot thrive without you. And you cannot thrive without the body. So we need each other, right? And we bless each other by sharing our gifts. You know, Paul in Romans chapter 1, which he would write a little bit later, when he begins that great book, says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, charismata. To make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. When he looked at the gifts that he was giving and bringing to the table and presenting to them, he saw it as an opportunity to strengthen them. That there was a mutual encouragement by entering into the sharing of our gifts. I know some, some people these days, uh, if, if you're familiar at all with kind of church stuff too, use the term deconstructing their faith or deconstruction quite a bit. It's happened as a result of great and understandable disillusionment with kind of the institutional church or people who call themselves with the label Christian and the, the social stuff happening and in disillusionment with adoption of principles and ideas that don't feel like they come from the Bible. And so as a response to that, some people are deconstructing their faith and saying, I, I, I don't know what is true, but I know one thing, I'm not going to identify with the church. And so they've stepped away from the body, as it were, and maybe they worship at home, at the Church of St. Mattress. Have you ever been worshiping at that church before? But then it turns into, and it happened after COVID as well, too, like, oh, I'm okay uh, on my own. And Paul, if he were to enter into this space and take a look, I think he would have a, a word to say and say, no, you are a body. That this, you need to come together. And yet when one part hurts, everybody hurts. And when, when, when one part is going astray, we all feel the sting of that. But the solution is not to cut yourself off from the body. Because when you do that, you're ceasing to be the very thing God has called you to be. The local church, very messy. Just is. People are messy. What is the local church? A group of sinners getting together, doing the best they can to walk out the truth of the gospel. And in the process, being pretty selfish about it. I'm sorry, we're not pretty. But because of what Christ has done in the gospel, we are beautiful. We are the bride of Christ. You know, this, this imagery of marriage, those of you who are married understand. Marriage is hard. 
It is, it is difficult there. And you may have the best possible marriage. It's just a shadow of the perfect love of God. But a lot of people end up with the idea when they enter into marriage that it's all going to go well and something goes astray. That's because we're two sinners saying I do. There's a book I used to use called When Sinners Say I Do. And the basic premise is what's your plan for sin? And the thing is we all go in with like, that's not going to apply to me. You know, you do need to have a plan for sin because it's going to happen. And the same thing is true in the local church. There will be hard things and miscommunication and confusion. But it's in that mess that Christ came and died for that the beauty of the body begins to be unfolded in the manifold wisdom of God. That's Paul's perspective of the local church here. Same body. And, and, and it's quite fascinating, too, because he goes on to say, you're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or, or free. I love that. He's talking, this is an ethnic comment as well. Whether you're Jews or Greeks, those are ethnic categories. You know, you're from the Jewish nation or you're from Greek nation. Uh, you're slave or free. And he would have been expanding all those categories and saying, where do we see all that coming together, the one and the many? In the local church. So we desperately need each other. In fact, if we don't have each other, we're missing something. And when you walk out this place, if all of a sudden you walk through those doors and your leg was gone, I bet you'd notice it. Or even just your little pinky toe. Might take a little while, but you're like, something's, something's wrong here too. And you look down and say, we're missing something. God has constructed this perfectly for our benefit, the one and the many. Just a few implications from, from this, and they're implications that we'll, again, continue to unpack just a bit in the days ahead as we go through the next text. Some implications for this are to consider. Uh, number one, your gifts may matter more than you think. Now, what we didn't do was unpack every single list of the gifts there. Uh, but what I have for you on the way out is something that if you've been to Discover Redeemer, you've received this. It's kind of repackaged and I think a little easier to understand. It's, it's just an introduction to spiritual gifts and has some of the passages on it. Um, the nature of the gifts uh, as they're defined, the, the Greek words, what, what a spiritual gift is, principle, and then definitions of each of those gifts. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, Distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps, administration, apostle, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and then some lists of other possibilities. And then also, after that, as some of you have already experienced, there's a chance for you to take a test, take an inventory, and discover what your gifts are. Most of us really like figuring things out about ourselves. This is kind of fun. So if you've never done this, I want to encourage you. It's on a music stand when you leave. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been gifted by God's Holy Spirit with a gift for the common good according as God desires so we can thrive. So people, figure your gifts out and then find out ways to leverage them in the context of the community. Guess what? We will thrive when you do that. 
And the opposite is true as well. We won't thrive, at least not in the same kind of way, if you withhold that from us. Isn't that great? You have a gift that matters, probably more than you think. So if you're the kind of person who's like, oh, you know, maybe Eeyore like, oh, I have nothing to give. <laughs> I'm just awful. No, that's not really true. You matter a lot more than you think. Now, uh, let's face it. Some of you have the opposite problem. <laughs> Church couldn't survive without me. You know, look at me. Hey. So, okay, fine. Remember, your gifts are given. There's no room for pride. God has given you a gift, as he wills, for the purpose of serving others, not for puffing yourself up. And some of that obviously was happening in the Corinthian church, too. And they're saying, look at me. I've got upfront gifts. And Paul's trying to say, well, they all come from the same source. And they all make a difference. Although it is true that some gifts, he calls our gifts to be desired. Because they appear to have more immediate edification to the body. You have one, a pastor teacher who's often in front of the microphone giving information to you. And you can desire some of those gifts, but don't disparage the one that you have. And the other thing is, remember that if you have upfront gifts, there is higher expectations in the Bible as well for how you use those. Not many of you should presume, presume to be teachers. You'll be judged more harshly. If you're somebody who feels like, you know, I'm an obscure part of, of the body of Christ, the pinky toe or something too, you still matter. And for those who think that they matter more and it can be very subtle, there's a tremendous price paid, especially when you fall. I mean, you can probably think of names right now of people who were just amazing gifts to the body of Christ, universal, who because of something that happened now have wrecked people's faith. Anonymity isn't that bad, people, especially in this world at this time where it feels like nothing is private. <laughs> so don't, on the one hand, disparage your gift, but also don't think too highly of yourself. Be sober-minded. There is a corresponding danger even with those greater gifts. Another thing to consider is your gifts are not by mistake. God has constructed you perfectly. We remind your children of that sometimes, right? You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and, and the concept underneath that is you're not a mistake. And that's true for each one of us. They're intentional gifts. And again, if they are dynamic, then it's for that time and that purpose and that way to be leveraged for God's glory. There's a scale of gifts here, too, even if it's something musical. If you've got 10 people together, usually it's the most musical who's leading. And that person may not be leading in a larger group of individuals. So that can be sort of dynamic. But it's certainly not by mistake. And then a final implication, which we discussed already, is your gifts are designed to be employed in the community of faith. Your gifts are designed, if you're here now, for Redeemer Church. That's it. So you need to use those gifts. Discover them. Exercise them. Use them. We don't have, um, it, 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 one of the things I'd love to see is, you know, somebody take all the spiritual gifts and then find out kind of where they belong in the scope of the church, too. So if you have the gift, then you go here. 
Some of them are kind of obvious. But you need to figure out what, what that is. And there are times when you just have to serve because it's the right thing to do, you know. We need somebody in the nursery. I can't stand kids. Well, actually, maybe that's not a good idea after, after all. But there may be times when you say, I'm kind of tired of serving kids, but the need is there. Well, then God may gift you for that at, at the moment. But the image here, of course, is we're a body, one body together. And I love how rooted, again, this is in the Trinitarian concept. It's just... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, mutually pouring out for each other to edify one another for the glory of everybody. And that's what the church is like. It shouldn't surprise us that Paul's going to have to you know, give them not just some guidance about the positive view, but some correctives as well along the way of how they're maybe not using it properly. Because we're a beautiful, messy bride of Christ but the picture here then is of a body that's offering itself for the other. And that gets us right back to the gospel, where we always are at the end, right? Christ himself has done what he's asking us to do already, poured himself out on our behalf, gave himself, gave his body as a picture of what we can do for each other as well. The gifts that he's given us are not for ourselves, but they're to be leveraged for the body to thrive. So each one of you has a role here. If you think you don't, that's a lie. You do. And each one of you really has not only a role, but a responsibility to bring that here. This is, this is awesome. Let's look forward to what that looks like and also what it looks like even in the context of corporate worship, but also of life together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look it's just a small piece of your word, but a really important one, too. I know in talking about this with somebody else, he, he was saying this is his favorite chapter in, in the Bible because it gave him a picture of how he could serve and use his gifts that was broader than what he had anticipated. So even as he was doing something that didn't fit in the vocational ministry category, he saw that he was serving God. I pray that we would have that kind of picture of what it means to be a part of the body. Give us wisdom for how to apply this and a, a, a desire to unpack our own gifts and then to use them in the service of others. We want to thrive as one body with many parts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to continue to pray about faith promise. Um, some of you have the gift of giving. What a great opportunity to use that gift. And even if not, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about the grace of giving, excelling in that. We can grow in that as we give. So just an encouragement there. And also a reminder, if you can join us on Tuesday at 7, it's, it should be pretty fun to, to listen to uh, Lynn Goodwin's story as she shares with us and, uh, a gift of art as well, her gift that's being given to us. Well, let's... Stand and sing praise to God from whom all things flow, including the gifts that we've received. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. 
Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Next week, Delano Robinson will be a guest preacher here today. Some of you may know uh, Delano. Uh, we were planning on being out of town. It's up in the air now. We made some, some travel uh, arrangements and got some dates mixed up. So we may or may not be here, but Delano definitely will be here bringing the Lord's word to you. And now receive this.